to the Mental Health Boot Camp Podcast. This is the podcast where four therapists, three of us Canadian, one of us American, serve you cutting edge mental health knowledge. My name is Ryan Howes. I'm a psychologist from Pasadena, California. And I'm Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from the Vancouver, Canada area. I'm Chris Boyd. Oh, sir. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Bob. I'm Chris Boyd, psychotherapist from Coquitlam and outside Vancouver. I'm Dennis Boyd, and I'm in Coquitlam too. I'm also a psychologist. Yes. Are you guys related somehow? Uh, No. (laughs) Coincidence, last name? That's it. Oh, very good. I'm filling in for uh, Jobo, Joanna Boyd, who's off on a little weekend retreat. So I'm happy to be here. Always a pleasure to have you here, Dennis. Indeed. You really and, bring up a notch. Yeah, yeah. Really does. And uh, and I'm so excited because you're actually going to be the ambusher today. You're dropping the topic. So I can't wait for that. Not yet, but coming pretty soon. All right. Ah, oh, that's great. Yeah. So uh, what were we going to say, Chris? Well, speaking of ambushes, I was reflecting on the one last week and uh, we did such an amazing job talking about books that we didn't actually talk about the movies or documentaries or other resources. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. The question was broad, a broad topic about uh, what we might recommend to, to clients, uh, book recommendations we might make, as well as other resources, including movies, uh, or podcast, TED Talks, or maybe even programs, or I don't know, something like the online mental health boot camp might be an interesting resource to yeah. advise people. <laughs> <laughs> Since we we're such self promoters. We? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, it was a bit of a, it's, it's an interesting topic, right? Because it, um, once you start thinking about it, then more and more resources come to mind and kind of takes off on its own. But I didn't want it to leave us limited in case somebody had a really great TED talk or something. Sure. So did you have something in mind, Chris? No, I was just kind of reflecting. We got so carried away with books, but uh, there's definitely some good TED talks out there though. Um, I don't know if we want to jump into those now or leave it for another time, but, but a great topic though, Brooke and uh, Ryan must've taken a little while to upload all those titles. Did you just finish up uh, before? I just finished up now. Yeah, it took me all week long. No, it took me a while, but we had like 40, 45 titles uh, that we shared with people. And I just linked to uh, to their Amazon page so people could find those books if they were interested. Um, so so let's run through 40 or 50 TED Talks or something, Chris, <laughs> and then keep me going until next week. What do you say? <laughs> No, I do actually. One that I like to recommend sometimes to people is um, is Kelly McGonigal's uh, "The Upside yeah. of, Upside of Stress." One of my favorites. There, she talks about how interestingly, it, stress is stress can be bad for you, stress can be good for you, or stress can be kind of neutral. But a, a lot of it depends on how you feel about stress. If you feel like stress is bad for you, it will be actually, mm. which is a really interesting viewpoint mm-hmm. if you view something as, as like a horrific challenge or horrific obstacle and, and that sort of thing that's going to be a negative but if you feel like it's a, a good challenge and man you like challenges and you like to step up to the plate and face a challenge that can actually be really invigorating for you so that's for the sure. big one yeah and also of course Brene's gigantic ted talk they could put her put her on the map there that's probably worth uh, worth mentioning Brene Brown's people, vulnerability talk. Vulnerability, yeah. But yeah. people loved her uh, authenticity and her delivery. And I think that really resonated with a lot of people. Yes. Another one pops in my mind is Dan Gilbert's uh, The Surprising Science of Happiness. Mm-hmm. Mm. That was uh, pretty good. Seems yeah. like you've really been thinking about this one, Chris. Have you been like <laughs> just thinking about it all week? I have. have a just list. Waiting, yeah. It's waiting for my. Uh, opportunity to share them you know mm. yeah um 
On another note, 39 years ago, uh, something major happened. The old man there, Dennis, started his uh, counseling practice. Yeah. Dennis Boyd and Associates. So today, 39 years later, we have, what, 23, 24 therapists in Coquitlam, so just outside of Vancouver. Right. I think for a good portion of that 39 years, it was the biggest um, private practice in BC. Uh, amazing reputation. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of neat. I got to, uh, I was actually born 39 years ago as well. So I got to grow up around uh, a great team of psychologists and counselors. And uh, myself, as well as Brooke, got to be evening receptionists at that practice as well. <laughs> so great opportunities for mentorship. And yeah, you know, we all work there as well as Joanna too. So yeah, yeah, big day. Yeah, it was uh, the, the year we started that, uh, your mom and I were just talking about it. Uh, she was carrying you. You were born uh, a little while after, a uh, month or so after we started. It was a little bit of a stressful time, a bit of uncertainty, but here we are. Worked out well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah. Giving birth to a practice and a bouncing baby boy, huh? Yeah. Same time. <laughs> we're together now, so we can't beat that combination. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that's been great. It goes too quickly, though. When they say seize the moment, uh, those the old guys around say live the moment well, they mean it because they uh, they go quickly. Hmm. Hmm. But it's been good. Dennis, what's been if there's a if, if there's been one key to to keeping a, a practice alive and thriving for 39 years, what would you say that is? Gosh, um, I think trying to make the practice like family, you know, treating people in the practice as if they're family and uh, supporting them where we can and being supported by them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's been a big part of it. We, uh, we've tried to do that in, in small ways. In other ways, uh, Maureen, Chris's mom, is our managing partner, and she's really the heart of the practice. And she um, not only is a good administrator, but she takes care of making sure people's birthdays are acknowledged and special occasions. And so it's, it's been a big, uh, big boost for us. So I think the family environment we have there. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's all relationships, isn't it? It's all about relationship. Yeah. You got it. That's great. Yeah. Well, that's great. Congratulations. That is quite an accomplishment. And uh, wow. I just think about with, 39 years and 20 some therapists working there all year round. How many individual sessions of psychotherapy have taken place in that, that spot? And, and not only that, but how many insights were arrived, you know, arrived at, or, uh, you know, tears shed, healing tears shed, um, you know, just aha moments that have taken place there. That's just, that's gotta be staggering. Mm-hmm. I was really glad when Costco opened so we could go buy our tissue in, in bulk because we we're going through a lot of uh, <laughs> as we do in these practices. So it's good to be able to get it in bulk. <laughs> Take care of the, the sensitive stuff. That's that's it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, that's awesome. Here's to 39 more years. Thank you. <laughs> right on. There we are, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. Um, well, look, we might as well just dive in, everybody. Yeah. I'm really excited that uh, Dennis will be ambushing the three of us. He knows the topic. The rest of us don't. And it'll be uh, ready to, to dive in. And it looks like the question has just passed through customs down across the the border and uh, it's arrived here in California. Here we go. Uh, Grief revisited or grief part two. Stages versus reactions. Ah, okay. What does core grief look like? What is unhealthy grief? And what are some good coping strategies? Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. But, I should have uh, known, Dennis. I should have known. This is one area. So Dennis uh, really works a lot with grief and in couples and marriage counseling. 
I don't know if they go together or not. Maybe they you do could sometimes, comment on that. Unfortunately. But, yeah. Sometimes they do. Yeah. Yeah. So he's wow. the, the expert in our office for this. So good one. Awesome. There you are. <laughs> I'm excited to hear more about grief. You know, I've certainly encountered grief on various levels um, on a regular basis in, in practice. And you know, love thinking about it and trying to help people work through it. Um, I usually tell people, you tell me if I'm wrong on this one, Dennis, or if you conceptualize it differently, but I like to tell people that, that grief is a, it's a, it's a very natural process. And it's usually not about trying to, you know, push someone into grief as much as it is allowing it to take place without uh, obstruction and uh, without it kind of getting in the way of it. Right. Right. Yeah, I think part of the problem with grief is people don't realize uh, what it is. You know, they uh, it feels kind of crazy sometimes, and I think that makes people really uncomfortable. So one of the challenges maybe is to to normalize what the grief experience can be like, to understand the core. But that helps people a lot because they don't think we need grief therapists so much as educators who give them a few tips on what to expect and then how, what to do with it. Um, because people can usually work their way through it quite well. There are exceptions, but um, encouraging yeah. them to, to be with it. Well, I know we touched on this before, but but we might as well do what we usually do and just sort of start by defining the, the terms here. You know, when we're talking about grief, some people have different conceptions of grief. They, they, they feel like grief is only about losing a loved one. You know, so a loved one dies and then you grieve it. Right. But uh, we... Therapists usually have a broader understanding of it, don't we? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. It's more of the general sense of loss. Mm -hmm. So it could be, a, of course, an individual, but it could also be uh, a job. It could be um, health. It could be a number of different things. When you think of grief, uh, what, what emotions come to mind? Because people use the, the term grief as if it's a, an experience unto itself, but it's really like a mosaic. It's a collection of a lot of different feelings. It's not just one. Uh, and sadness, of course, is there. But what other feelings come to mind when you think of uh, grief? If it's a mosaic, what are they? There's some that are just classic. You can almost see them every time somebody's had a loss if they're if they're in pain. Yeah. What do you, what have you what's your observations been? I think, I think anger sometimes pops up. Mm -hmm. Hurt. Um, but also for me, I always like to see the love. I think love belongs in that mosaic, especially when talking of a, a person that's passed away, that's been close. Right. I, I don't think the grief would be that strong if there wasn't a lot of love behind it. Well, it's an interesting point you make because your old Grohlman, who's a, I'm not sure he's even still with us. He's a rabbi from Boston. He said that grief is an expression of love. Mm -hmm. that the grief experience, the more we love somebody, the bigger the grief will be. But to think of grief as a collection of probably every feeling helps me a lot. Anger is certainly there, but sadness, yearning for the person, yeah, uh, confusion, you name it, they're all there. So yeah, anxiety as well, you know, yeah. may alter the course of your life and uh, create some uncertainty. Yeah. So I'm sure there's some anxiety in there. Now with COVID, we're all living some anxiety anyway. So if people are grieving now, I've met a few that are have lost spouses or whatnot. Their grief seems to be up a level or two because there's already a lot of general anxiety related to living this uh, pandemic experience. So it all kind of blends together, it seems. For sure, yeah. Um, I, I would also say that, you know, something that I often see along with grief is this sort of confused kind of bewilderment. Like, you know, as people are adjusting to, to this, you know, especially in the earliest part, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine my world this way now. And that could be, you know, it's not just about losing a loved one. It could be losing, losing something in your future or losing some part of, right. of, uh, of, of your history, or losing your idea of who someone was and then finding out who they really are. There's all sorts of different manifestations of this, but there is this sort of, uh, wow, how, do I, how am I going to live in this world, you know? Yeah. One of the reasons the stage theory it fell out of popularity quite soon after Kubler-Ross brought it out. And Chris, you mentioned in the first edition of Grief uh, Program 4, you guys did, that it was very, very popular for a number of years. It's very true. 
but one uh, researcher from England said, well, we have to teach people as there are 305 stages or whatever of grief, not just five. And so uh, Kessler though is, is uh, in his book, you mentioned you'd interviewed him, Ryan. He's added that meaning piece, which I think is really cool, but it's brought the stages back up again. I, I like to look at it as reactions and break them into physical. There's physical reactions, there's psychological, uh, mental, uh, social reactions. And you're talking about confusion and lack of concentration. Those are very normal grief reactions and they scare people. Mm -hmm. but lots of emotion too, lots of physical pain. There's lots of various things that happen there. So just to broaden that spectrum a bit from the stage theory to reactions gives us a little more room to move. Mm -hmm. I like that, Dennis, because I think people do get really scared um, if their body is taking over. You know, yeah. so if you're having these visceral physical responses or, or yeah, like cognitive confusion or concentration right. um, really spooks people, right? Yeah. They think something's very medically wrong with them. Especially older people, the dementia is never far away as a fear. And so when they have these normal grief reactions that are, are typical of somebody who's hurting a young person, old person, uh, it's nice to reassure them that they're, they're probably okay. Mm. And that's a, yeah, that's something to keep in mind, especially, I guess, as people age, you might have to go through more grief, right? Um, well, there's lots yeah. of, it's not, never far away as you get a little bit older. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Sure. One of the things I thought I'd ask you guys about is what you think, what are the factors that influence grief? I mean, it'd be interesting to talk about unhealthy grief as well, but what do you think the factors are? Because you were talking a touch about that in your first show. I thought we could expand on that a bit. What are some factors do you think that make a difference for each person that we see? There's various things that influence their grief. Um, what do you think, uh, not putting you on yeah. the spot, I have a couple in mind, but what do you think some of the factors might be? No, this is great. This is a true ambush here. Yeah, yeah question yeah. after question. What you guys earn your uh, your uh, yeah? At least we know you're the cleanup crew. So if we miss something, then you're gonna you're gonna get it. Mm -hmm. Just um, turn it back and ask Dennis what he thinks. Don't worry about it. Yeah, um, I, I think there's a cultural component. Yeah, um, I think that you see that sometimes, um, you know, not uh, overtly showing emotion or trying to suppress that or trying to act tough. Yeah. Um, so kind of suck it up and get over it. Um, so that's, that's one. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Previous grief experiences, right? History of grief and how has that been dealt with before? Um, yeah. I don't know if these are what you're looking for, but I I think it was you, Dennis, we're in a case consult and talking about um, the age of the person, how close they were to you and how sudden the death was. And that would be, that would impact the grief response. So if it, the strongest grief being a young child who passed away unexpectedly. I don't know if that is what I recall correctly, but I think it was in a case consult that came up. It's not bad. That's pretty good. Is that right? Does that sound appropriate? Yeah, those are the, you know where it gets a little tricky is you, when you guys were meeting before you talked about there may be times where there may not be any grief because the Ryan, I remember you saying that the loss could be expected or you're actually looking forward to the loss. There's relief and that certainly can be true. But then I, I saw this interesting thing happen with my mom, her dad, her stepfather and herself were not very close. So when he died, I was with her at the funeral and we we're at the cemetery and every, there were a group of old Danes there and they would stand around the coffin and sing this song in Danish to the tune of Silent Night, which kind of wasted me but they were all wandering off. And my mom stayed back and went up and touched my grandfather's coffin and started to cry. And in that moment, she was grieving for the relationship she never had with her grandfather, with her father. And so it flips on us. You, you think you're not gonna have, but then there's that potential for something better that gets lost too. And so it gets kind of confusing sometimes, but also quite normal, I think. Yeah, for sure. I think a complicating factor can also be trauma. We talk a lot about trauma in this podcast. I have a client right now who is uh, grieving the loss of a relationship, but the magnitude of this, of, of the grief reaction is, is quite high. The, the sadness and the, the anger and the frustration and, and uh, you know, through our therapeutic work, it seems like there was, yeah, some significant trauma that happened. And that was the first time she actually felt, felt uh, safe and secure was mm -hmm. within that relationship. It was far from, from perfect, but 
So for it to end so abruptly um, really rattled her to her, to her core, right? So in terms of her grief work, uh, in, term, uh, in regard to that relationship, we had to, to kind of go back a bit and, and address that trauma that happened when she was a child. So in that regard, do you think that attachment is one of these factors? Like do attachment styles impact grief uh, or the level or expression or reaction of grief? Wouldn't sure would. Yeah, wouldn't be surprised. I think uh, you mentioned a minute ago, Brooke, that uh, old losses impact how we grieve now. And it's like a window opens and old losses that we never quite finished with all show up when we're grieving in the present moment. And we have a chance to go back and finish those losses. So whether it's trauma or something else, it's a chance to and some people get disconcerted because they think, you know, I've been thinking about my grandmother who died five years ago and and really there never was a chance to grieve her properly. And so now's the chance to catch up. So that can factor in as well, I think. I will toss out there also something that we've probably all seen at one time or another. And that is um, the the my last interaction with scenario, right? Which is, you know, someone who has a hard time uh, grieving the loss of the person because they're, beats, they're stuck beating themselves up because the last time they saw mom or grandpa, whatever, the last time they saw them, uh, they had an argument or, uh, gosh, I wish I would have, you know, there's the guilt that comes up. I wish I would have told him to remember to take his pill or, you know, whatever that might be. Um, and people can really get, get stuck in those areas of uh, beating themselves up and, and just instead of focusing on the years and years of a nice relationship maybe they had with them or just a, a healthy human relationship with its ups and downs, they get so focused on that last interaction that it, uh, it kind of spoils it for them, you know? So if we look at unhealthy grief, there's four that come to mind. One is absence of grief, which is could mean there wasn't much to grieve about, but even if there wasn't, there still is the loss of what we could have had. And that usually leads to some sort of psychological collapse or ulcer, or whatever it felt, physical illness. But the others, I think you're talking about, it could be a stuck reaction where there was unfinished business with the person yep. and their grief gets stuck and they can't kind of move through it because they never did say sorry for not having them take the pill or whatever. And, and so they got to work that through for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Great, great distinctions here. So the absence of grief, um, some sort of a stuckness, something that yeah. what, what we might call and or what I think the DSM calls uh, complicated bereavement, right? Where there's this mixture of feelings that makes it hard to just let things go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that DSM uh, point about complicated, I've always, I've smiled to myself about that. It seems like a contradiction to me. Normal grief is very complicated. It's chaotic. It's a roller coaster ride. It's up and down. Unhealthy mm -hmm. grief isn't very complicated at all. It looks like you're fine. You're a time bomb, mind you. But but I, I know what they're referring to there. Uh, it is a roller coaster ride. The healthy grief up and down all over the place. So reassuring people they're okay is uh, they they come in and say, you know, I'm riding a roller coaster. Yeah, well, good, because that's what you're supposed to be doing. So mm -hmm. reassurance. Yeah. And so how long should that roller coaster ride last for? I know it's different for everybody and uh, it's tough to attach a time limit to that, but when would you uh, determine if it's maybe um, crossing to that realm of a complicated grief situation? Usually give it a year. Um, it's hard to tell anything without getting that first year under your belt because of all the firsts, all the anniversaries that go by without the person that stimulate the grief. It's called anniversary grief. What time of the year is the most comp the most noticeable anniversary grief? Christmas. Hmm. One one woman, it was Valentine's Day. It varies. So we get through that first year. The other thing for me is if the grief is getting worse over that year, that usually means there probably there's probably something going on. If it starts to get better and better, uh, that's a pretty good sign. But it varies. I mean, one of the factors that influences if a child dies, it's a five year grief experience up and down roller coaster riding getting better and better it's not going to happen quickly if that child was murdered it's off the charts or if there was a suicide it's going to be again very big grief that's going to go on longer than than, than others so it varies on 
how it happened. Mm. Mm. So just to put that in some kind of context, because otherwise people worry about whether they're okay or not okay. The other thing is if somebody's with cancer and they die after many months of being ill, uh, there was a lot of anticipatory grief that happened while they were ill. And so that probably will make the post-death grief somewhat uh, less intense in some way, not right away, but later on less intense. So, yeah, that's an interesting one, Dennis. I, I've worked with a lot of folks on that that very topic, kind of what we what we call pre-grieving, right? Yeah. You're going to pre-grieve. So, and and some people who, um, I believe that they 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 have in their head that if the more that I can kind of grieve it now, kind of get it out of the way now, then maybe it won't hurt so bad when the person dies or leaves. And um, then I can, you know, I can avoid some of that, that deeper pain. Mm. Um, but in my experience, they still feel the pain. <laughs> you know, if, if, if grandma's got six months to live and you try to pre-grieve as much as you can before that, it's still going to hurt when she's gone. I mean, yeah. you're, you're facing some realities maybe more than other people would, but it's not, it, it doesn't really take away the, uh, the the depth of the pain. Yeah, I think you're right there, especially at the time of the loss. It's such a upsetting experience, even if you're anticipating it. But six or eight months later, you may find the intensity is lessening a little more than it would if she died very suddenly. Uh, mm -hmm. You'll get a bit of variation there, but yeah, it's going to be there. Can't, can't. I get it out of the way. Can't sidestep it. Right. Right. That is in uh, just with this past year with COVID, I'm sure you've had some clients come in where they've lost family members. I know I right. have. And I'm, I'm wondering, are you noticing, is it just a similar pattern than usual? Because if it's someone in ill health who gets COVID, um, the likelihood of them passing is higher. So I don't like... And it's so sudden, like you're, you're aware it's going to happen, but it happens so quickly. And I'm just curious, like, is there, have you noticed anything slightly different with that? Or is it pretty much the same? Now, you've seen a bit of that too. What do you think? What's your take on it? Let me flip uh, it on you. <laughs> yeah, so for, that's fine. That's okay. So for, for me, the persons that have lost loved ones, it did happen quickly, but it, um, the persons that passed away were grandparents who... Yeah, they, they kind of, the, the grandchildren were who I was seeing, and they were aware that, okay, this is likely going to happen, and that's okay, um, but the view for them, the view of the afterlife was very comforting, um, and my client, in particular, was the chosen person to be the visitor in the hospital, mm -hmm. so she was able to go see the grandparent and see them struggling, and wished them well and gave a blessing to pass to the other side and that knowing that he was going to be so much healthier like feel better and happier and, and not suffering any longer um and shortly after that the grandmother so the the partner passed away as well and just knowing they were going to be together so mm. for her it was a very pleasant one i just i'm not sure if that's what you've noticed too or yeah. One thing I noticed related to that is there was a, a situation where a family member was ill and anticipated death, they call it, you know, expected death. And but they didn't think it would happen for a few months and COVID came along and they were gone very quickly. So you have the shock of the sudden death in in the experience of an anticipated. So it gets confusing again. So it can happen where everybody thinks they're prepared and then they happen sooner than they thought and the grief is what Ryan mentioned, it's very painful and they're dealing with it as best they can. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious about what you guys have been telling your clients to help them cope with grief. You know, I, I'm, I think I'm suggesting that we normalize it for them. Like I've had more grieving clients leave my session saying, you mean I'm not crazy? They said, well, if you were crazy, you wouldn't be asking the question because most of the people I have met who are perhaps crazy think they're fine. They think everybody else is nuts. Uh, and yet, yeah. You're worrying about, it feels crazy to be grieving healthily, but what, what have you guys found that helps? Because there's certain things that seem to work better than others. I, I go back to kind of that bit of, of education from the beginning of the, the, 
the question here today, which is just that it's a it's a natural process that we really only muck up if we try to stop it or you know sidestep it or get out of its way. Um, we got to face it and feel it. Let you know, ride that roller coaster. If you yeah. need to cry, cry. If you want to yell, yell. Give yourself yeah. space to to feel and to hurt and to uh, reach out for help and you know, kind of kind of lose it for a while. And that's that's the it's it's an odd thing, but it's the way that the body kind of processes this loss. My generation was brought up to put the feelings away and pretend you don't have any. And that's very cultural as well. And there are kids your your age who were brought up with parents who believe that. And so that's very, I think what you're saying is right on, but we have to convince people that what they learned when they were younger isn't probably working anymore. Let's experiment with right. being real, being real about what we feel. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, great point so far. And I think the catharsis idea, just talking about it, sharing the stories, uh, bringing pictures to the sessions, right? Mm-hmm. Hopefully there's a family member or friend that they can open up to as well. It's the most intriguing thing. Like when you start to share those stories, you feel a little lighter as yeah. time goes on. Um, so I've experienced that myself. Um, writing as well. If you don't have someone to talk to, then mm. just 20 minutes and start off with whatever's bother, bothering the most in that moment and kind of let it flow. So, so you're doing that, yeah, four days in a row. And yeah. Jamie Baker is researching that for a number of years. Um, I know you suggest that a lot too, uh, Dad. You know, that's one of your go-to techniques, right? The writing. The writing, yeah. Yeah, especially letters. If there's unfinished business that Ryan was referring to earlier, the letters work very well. Uh, and they do something symbolic with the letter, burn it or do whatever. But it's not easy to write those letters. It sometimes takes a bit of coaxing. But boy, the payoff is really worth it if they can. Uh, and it's very private. I was thinking yeah. of C.S. Lewis when his wife died. He never talked to anybody. He just wrote, a, wrote it all down and created this book called A Grief Observed, which is a beautiful book about what he lived when his wife died. So it can, you can write it out, you can talk it out, but it's sure nice to have some hugs. And if you want hugs, I think we should check with people who are grieving if they want hugs, some don't. So we give them space. Or if they're Brooke. Well, Brooke, yeah. I think in a pinch might take a hug, but uh, Chris is the big hugger, I think. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the, the takeaway from from Kessler's latest work there is is about the sixth stage of grief being meaning and the whole process there is just kind of thinking about that person's life, what sort of lessons that they embodied or some some things that they lived and seeing if you can incorporate that into your own life. Um, so, you know, the idea of we were we were talking because uh, we were talking about um, this editor of mine from the psychotherapy networker who died and we were talking specifically about him and kind of what meaning that uh david was going to take from that he's like well rich simon made me made me edit and re-edit and re-edit my work to become the best writer i could possibly be and that kind of work ethic and focus attention on detail just to to really get the point across clearly um is something he'll always take with him so i like i like that idea too what what is it that i can what will live on through me from this person? Yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful, isn't it? Yeah. To embody that. If you choose to, to shift your behavior because of that individual, what a, an amazing way to honor that person. It also helps you kind of delve into it and really try to capture the essence of that individual too, which I think is a very powerful process. Um, also like just allowing people to take a day, like if, it may seem like things are getting a little light, uh, lighter and better, but it may hit you one day. And you just feel kind of off and, and maybe you stay in your pajamas, maybe you click at old photos or, yeah. Um, and I think it's, you know, cry. It's make you feel a little better. And I'm, I'm sure the next day you'll be back on track. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that whole idea of balance, like just trying to keep that routine, even the basics sleep might be difficult, but just the getting out for walks and, and eating and, and uh, yeah, you probably want to take, you could take some days for bereavement, but getting back to, to work um, might not be such a bad idea. Yeah, I tend to like to get people back to work fairly soon after a lot, not right away, but take a, whatever time they think they need, but a month or so, whatever, maybe a couple of months, 
because it gives them a break from the grief. The routine of everyday life gets them a root, you know, you just can't deal with it all the time, right? You have to have some breaks. So when I think of reactions, there's physical, psychological, spiritual as well. And if the meaning part that Kessler talks about is the spiritual, and I think it comes later in the journey after a lot of the emotional turbulence has settled down. It's a really strong concept he's presented there. It's super, you know, and he went through it. I mean, I think he lost his boy, eh? He lost his son, yeah. He really knows what he's talking about there. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the um, spirituality. And for a lot of people, they, you know, they may have uh, a faith that is important to them. And that connection lives on in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. Trying to understand what someone's belief system kind of looks like in regard to their spirituality. And because, my goodness, what a powerful tool that could be as well. Um, Yeah. And this could be, you know, organized or not organized spirituality you know people who have a particular doctrine that they follow or some folks who feel like you know we're all just uh stardust we're energy in the universe we uh you know ashes to ashes dust dust, you know go back to the to the earth and you know reuse our 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 nutrients for the for the world whatever it might be that sort of uh circle of life's sort of idea how do we fit in and how how do our lives fit in can be very comforting and give perspective to people god gets into trouble uh for some religious people when a child dies they are scandalized and they'll get really mad at god uh, i think a lot of religious traditions don't take enough time to talk about where the suffering experience of life fits into the, the spiritual journey that one can actually get closer to god through the suffering but when a child's you know they're going through that turmoil it's really hard to go so some people lose their faith uh for a while when they're grieving and others find it you know it's it's very interesting how it works it's uh but most of us i think you're right are going to be touched in some way yeah i was going to ask brooke about pets pets are part of a family you've got two special people little guys there what about what about clients who've lost pets and they they grieve like they're my family members right oh, That's, absolutely I, I do not even like to think about that day my I goodness know. it's like yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, that, that grief is so deep for people. Just um, yeah. pets being unconditional love and acceptance, right? There's, and and Ryan too. Ryan has a dog now named yeah. Lexi. Um, I don't know how strong your attachment is quite yet. I'm sure it's strong, but oh, very strong. Continues on, right? And uh, yeah, so so some of the people, yeah, I have had clients in the past where they've lost pets, and uh, it has rocked them for a little while there and then some people get a new pet right away and other people just want to hold off for a very long time and but i think it's a a very deep and real grief when that happens i know your family's lost a few too right mm-hmm. so interesting isn't it when someone loses a, a pet and come into counseling and one of the first things they say is i know it's just a dog but mm-hmm. and right away trying to normalize that experience and say no of course it's the the connection that attachment you have with the the dog and as brooke mentioned um this is a a very strong one right the unconditional aspect of it dogs are the best listeners yeah companionship doing doing these virtual sessions and invariably most of the clients have a dog some have cats but the dogs are always nearby and they're trying to get in on the action because they don't like sharing their their mom and dad with me uh, but one guy got upset. We were talking about his grandmother who died 10 years ago and he left Europe and came here and I had a hunch he hadn't really dealt with it. And I just asked him a few questions and he started to tear up and his little dog got up on his lap and got up and, and licked his cheek, was giving him a bit of love there. It was totally connected to him. It was very cool. Wow. Cat, on the other hand, when cats are there, what the cats do is they walk across the screen back and forth as if they own the place there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how, how loving they are. They're loving too, but yeah. anyway, I digress. Yeah. But also on the, the note of pets, um, instead of the grief of the pet, using a pet as a coping post grief has mm-hmm. been amazing for so many of my clients because it forces them like the dogs and cats need to eat. Um, if it's a dog, they need to go out and they need to be walked and just having something else that needs their yeah. care and attention and isn't going to give up on that, right? Like they're not going to go away. Yeah. Um, and that's really helped them move through. Mm. Yeah. Good point. 
It is. It is. Yes. Well, let's see. Um, any other sort of tips for people, coping mechanisms to help people move through? We've talked about writing. We've talked about sharing with others. Uh, how about like grief support groups and these sorts of things? Has anyone been a part of uh, of kind of sharing grief with other grievers, that sort of thing? That works beautifully at, um, because they, the people who are grieving find the experience so authentic because they're with other people who've gone through something similar. And so getting a bunch of grieving people together as a professional is really an effective way to get them to, to, to work through and, and not try and get in the way of that to just make sure people get a chance to talk. But yeah, I think you're onto something there. The groups work really well. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no doubt about it. It's great. I've, I've, I've known people who have met some of their, their best friends uh, through grief support groups, because again, these are folks who are in a, in a shared experience in some ways. They, they get one another and they're talking about things on the deepest of, and most vulnerable of levels and, mm -hmm. uh, and real bonds can form there. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, so I guess the, the, um, the, I guess, negative ways of coping would be just to not cope at all, try to stuff those feelings or try to numb them, alcohol and drugs. A lot of people try and do that. I think it ends up being a like a time bomb situation. You know, down the road they get they get quite they either get ill or the addiction takes root. Or, but yeah, very. T I think a lot of people don't know what else to do with it, so they they tend to self medicate that way, and we all know what that leads to. So, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, self medicate um, like prescribed medicate. Some people can kind of overdo it on that to try to numb out feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll tell you, I've known a lot of people who talk about how, you know, when their loved one passed, they immediately went into busyness mode with funeral preparation and got to do these arrangements and got to do all this paperwork and da -da -da -da, just having to do all of that stuff that, uh, that really left the feelings behind for a great deal of time. And then suddenly when they're, when the, when the work is done and they have to yeah. stop and pause and take a breath, then it's like, Oh, now here it comes. Yeah. That's that delayed grief reaction that you'll hear about. That's exactly what that is, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm kind of curious too. Sometimes you hear of um, the, the the person who's passing on. They have their wishes to to not be to not to have a funeral, a celebration of life, or anything like that. I'm kind of curious to hear your perspectives on that because um, I feel that it's so important for the for the family and friends who are grieving to kind of go through that, right? To come together and to celebrate that life. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts? Do you honor the wishes or do you do you try to find some middle ground there? I think people would find middle ground anyway, I, I would imagine, right? Like I'm just like in your own micro, micro families, family um, of origins, you would probably still cluster and share stories or pictures or laugh or cry or, um, you know, I, I think that would just naturally happen. I just don't know if it would happen in a large group organized manner. Yeah. Often people will want nothing done out of love for their family. They're trying to protect them. Oh. And say, and whereas if they talked with their family, they'd find that they probably wouldn't mind doing something and they probably will uh other times they don't and they wish they had so it would be so nice if people could talk more openly about the process that's unfolding but it's so hard to do i mean everybody's hoping that the person will survive and but when families have this open awareness it's called uh, years ago there was research on closed awareness came out closed awareness mutual pretense and open awareness if they have that open awareness they can discuss that and the person didn't will realize that it's okay for their loved ones to have the ceremony and they'll go with it. But so often it's closed and there isn't that opportunity to talk. So this is another COVID situation going on well, with yeah. the funerals, right? Because um, you're not allowed to have a service or up here uh, for the longest time, you could have seven people mm. maximum. Mm. So what, and then people were doing it on zoom. Right. Um, or different things, right? So taking that ritual away, I think was uh, yeah. just, yeah, 
awful, I think. You know what's going to happen when COVID lightens up and we're all sort of normal again, there's going to be a whack of funerals. And there's going to be a lot of memorial services. People are going to play catch up to, to honor these people. And there's going to be a lot of them because they're just, they've got it on hold right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can see that. Wow. Well, gosh. Um, a nice light topic, isn't it? Ironically nice. enough, just the other night, I was watching a movie uh, that involved grief. Grief. I don't know if anyone's seen it on Netflix, but Captain Fantastic. Uh -huh. And I'm not super attached to it. I didn't finish it. But um, the premise is it's a fellow and his children who live kind of off grid in the, the woods and the mom has mental health. And she had been living in, had gone to a, an institute in the States, uh, an asylum, a, a psychiatric unit. I'm not sure what you guys call them. Uh, she had been there for three and a half months, but she passed away. And so her, the, the wife's parents weren't going to respect the wife's wishes on how she wanted her service to go. And, and so the husband and the kids jump on a bus and they go to like save mom from the funeral and try to steal the casket and do all these kooky things. But yeah, oh. interestingly enough, it's a hot movie on Netflix right now. Lots of people are watching it. You know, we talked about it being a heavy topic and it is, but it's really about life because when we grieve, we're celebrating a life that has moved on or a loss of some sort and we're expressing our love. So it's very positive that way. We're trying to figure out ways to do it so we stay healthy. So that's important. And perhaps even more, uh, in, we can even insert a little bit of black humor. And people who are dying sometimes will laugh about various things. And this humor works really well at all times, especially around grief. And some grieving people have the blackest humor. And we have such great laughs. So it's really mm. a lot more positive than we think it is. Mm. It's only when we push it away that it gets negative for us. That's it. I, uh, I recently watched um, the a funeral service uh, of, of Monty Python, right? Uh, John Cleese was, was giving a eulogy for the member of Monty Python who had passed away. Uh, his name escapes me right now, but uh, he died in like the late 80s, I believe. And John Cleese went up there and just roasted him. <laughs> just just gave the most scathing hilarious you know talking about what a jerk he was and what a you know dingbat he was well, all these different things and he was saying and i and i do this today completely out of love because i know this is exactly what he would have wanted me to do you know and it's uh it's worth worth a watch if you <laughs> so i just it's as far as using the humor you know people yeah, yeah. go in many different ways yeah for sure you know it, it is it always seems kind of disjointed to me when you know when you know somebody to be witty or lighthearted or or you know light in so many ways and then and then a funeral is such a heavy dark affair you know it's like gosh this doesn't really match with the person mm -hmm. uh you know celebrations of life can do much better much more justice to that but i've even seen celebrations of life sometimes that kind of deny the the sadness of the of the loss you know yeah. So, so it's, it's a dicey area, you know, uh, glad we're talking about it. Cause I think it is something we need to put some thought into and for goodness sake, just on a side note here, everyone get a will, <laughs> everyone draw up a will and or a trust or something like that. Because I mean, again, as therapists, we, I've heard so many of the stories of people who have passed away, didn't leave a will and the family just just destroys one another trying to right. figure out what to do next or get get dibs on their stuff or whatever it might be. And wow, that can be so brutal. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to make a will because it means you're going to die. You're actually uh -huh. putting down on paper. And so some people push away. It's all part of them. I'm going to, you know, I'm not going there. And that's what causes the trouble, I think. So great, great advice there. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, it, yeah, I totally agree, Dennis. And, and, you know, uh, as, as Irvin Yalom said in his book, staring into the sun, um, there's two things as an old proverb is there are two things you can't do. 
you can't look directly at. One is the sun and the other is your own death. Right. Um, but honestly, if you are wanting to, to truly love the, the people who you leave behind, it is such a gift to give to them. Right. Mm -hmm. Wow. Heavy stuff. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Or I, is it? Or is it? Yeah, maybe it's not. <laughs> I, I got to say, I'm grieving the end of this episode today. It's sad to me to have to say goodbye. Aww. This is also somewhat line up in a weird way because it's Easter weekend. So there's like death and rebirth. I just want to throw that out there as a potential theme. Okay. Yeah. That's a good might point. Have a, might have been on the back of my mind. Tomorrow's Good Friday here. And, and uh, then we have this celebration coming up on the weekend. So might be a bit of that going on, Brooke. Oh, look at that. Maybe. So insightful. All right. Well, this has been a meaningful talk, and uh, we will we will bid farewell for now. We will resurrect this podcast again next week. All right. Excellent. So happy <laughs> Easter, everybody! Oh, you were waiting to say that. Oh, I so was. I wait all year, oh. all year. You're going to hear it so many times over the next four days. Oh, oh boy! That's Thanks great. for having me, guys. It's always a always a pleasure to spend time with you. Dennis, the best. Thank you so much for a great topic and for all of your wisdom. Much appreciated. So I'll sign us off. Like and subscribe on Apple, Google, Podbean, Audible, Spotify, or YouTube. Send your questions to info at mentalhealthfoodcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Tell a friend or two or an Easter bunny or two. And uh, good night, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye, everybody. Oh,